Welcome to Real Money, Real Experts, a podcast where leading financial counseling and coaching experts share their stories, their challenges, and their advice for helping people manage money in the real world. I'm your host, Rebecca Wiggins, Executive Director of the Association for Financial Counseling and Planning Education, or AFCPE. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Mary Bell Carlson. I'm an accredited financial counselor, or AFC, and the CEO of Chief Financial Mom. Every episode, we're taking a deep dive into the topics that personal finance professionals care about, helping clients, building community, and your professional growth. Welcome, everyone, to the Real Money, Real Experts podcast. I'm Rebecca. And this is Mary. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Today on the show, we're talking with Corey Carlisle. Corey is a senior vice president at the American Bankers Association, as well as the executive director of the ABA Foundation. He oversees the organization's philanthropic efforts, as well as programs that support the industry's efforts around financial education, affordable housing, and other community development activities. Prior to joining ABA, he was the Policy and Government Affairs Director at the Low Income Investment Fund and the Associate Vice President of Governmental Affairs at the Mortgage Bankers Association. Corey will be leading a panel discussion at the AFCPE Symposium that's focused on financial inclusion for justice-involved populations. I've also had the very good fortune of getting to know Corey through our Jumpstart Coalition Board service, and he's a tremendous leader. He also recently earned his AFC designation. So we have a lot of great things to talk about today. Thanks so much for joining us, Corey. Nice to be here, Rebecca and Mary. Thank you for having me. Please tell us a little bit more about you and how you got into this field. I have been in and out of the field in policy and practice around the financial health of individuals and communities since I started as a a 20-something staffer on the United States Senate Finance Committee, learning and working about how the lives of everyday Americans can be improved through interventions from public-private partnerships to the importance of effective tax policy and other interventions that can help the our underserved communities. And it's through those experiences that I've gone in and out of, of basically the banking industry or the community development field. And now I find myself really at my dream job overseeing the American Bankers Association's nonprofit philanthropic subsidiary, the ABA Foundation, where I get to put all of that experience to use. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about the ABA and its philanthropic foundation? As the name implies, the ABA Foundation is the 501c3 arm of the American Bankers Association. And for your listeners, ABA is the largest financial services trade association representing the 2 million employees in that industry and that safeguard about 19 trillion in deposits and 11 trillion in loans every single day. The ABA Foundation was actually founded in 1925 and has held true to its mission to make communities better through financial education since then. And really through a comprehensive suite of consumer education resources and initiatives, we try to empower our entire industry to really codify and instill important money skills for individuals and families at every stage of life. That sounds like a broad and vast mission. Tell us a little bit more about how our professionals can be involved with ABA and help 
with this philanthropic idea? What's cool about working for the ABA Foundation is everything we put out is free and, and, and turnkey for our industry. And as our foundation is about in creating those engagement opportunities with AFCPE's members and financial counselors and other nonprofit groups serving the community, we try to help make those pairings happen across the country. We have a whole suite of programming that's out there, uh, again, for banks to get involved. So whether you're talking to young children, to seniors, and everyone in between, we have really got a turnkey solutions. And then as part of our engagement strategy is if you would like to request to do a seminar or work in an event where you'd like to have a banker volunteer come to your event, uh, we created something called FinEdLink and it's available at aba.com forward slash FinEdLink. You can request a banker, any one of the thousands of bankers that participate in any one of those campaigns that we have going on across the country, we will pair you with a banker in your local area. So it's a really great win-win to create local synergy and connectivity between our banking industry and your counselors and other nonprofits and, and focused folks across the country. That's awesome. Really interesting. So Corey, I'm really interested to hear more about your journey to the AFC. I know you earned the accreditation earlier this year. Will you just share what made you interested in getting the designation and how you feel like that's going to inform your work moving forward? It's such a fantastic certification. And again, AFCPE made it so easy. And during this pandemic, like so many folks, was really looking for, I, I could not watch one more uh, uninteresting documentary or <laughs> a reality TV show on Netflix. I had reached the end of it. Uh, and so um, uh, while I have been working with clients and in the field of financial uh, capability and financial well-being for most of my career, this certification really seemed like, you know, a really high achievement for me. So I really set on a path to kind of on a self-exploration, but also a, a dedicated path to finishing uh, all the modules and working through the core curriculum uh, and eventually thankfully passing the exam on my first try and it's just fantastic uh, i learned so much more even about the people that i hope to serve we we serve every mm -hmm. single day but it also it's made me a much more effective leader and I'm already looking forward to um, taking all that experience even to go the next step and perhaps even look for additional certifications in my career. So it was a really great experience and I really am tremendously grateful for just really the ease in which AFCPE and particularly during COVID made a self-paced learning environment that gave me the opportunity to earn that AFC. So thank you so much. Yeah, and it makes me think actually what you were just talking about in terms of like partnership opportunities too for how we can really at the field level, how we can engage from the banking side of it, as well as the side of where our professionals are. Sometimes they're the same, you know, sometimes we have people that are already working in a financial institution, but how can we create some of those linkages to where like you guys are providing that ability to connect with a banker? And maybe this is that type of example or model where bankers can then also know that these professionals or this certification exists. And how can we help one another? I think that just as you were talking, that just kind of reminded me of some things I think we can continue to strive for as a field and create more of those linkages across areas of, of specialty. Absolutely. The field of banking is changing so rapidly. And basically everybody has a bank in their pocket, right? Uh, in the form of their phone. Mm -hmm. And how we uh, help individuals navigate the new brave world of money is really exciting. And cha it poses challenges for us as an industry, but also has a lot of opportunities to reach people that we might not have been able to reach before. So absolutely, these synergies and working together really will help us hopefully prepare people so they can make effective financial choices throughout their life.
Corey, tell us a little bit more. You wrote an article called A Financial Caregiver. Chances are you'll be one or you'll need one. And that was in the ABA Banking Journal. We'll include the link in our show notes below. Tell us a little bit more about what this idea of financial caregiving means and this idea of a growing population of Americans over the age of 65. One of the programs that my board of directors and as I surveyed banks that we had a little bit of a blind spot in serving a very vulnerable population, and that is our seniors. Just throw a couple stats at you that one in five Americans will be age 65 or older by the end of this decade, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. And they make up an even larger portion, as you might imagine, of the banking market relative to the general population. Unfortunately, this also makes them targets for criminal financial exploitation. And as you know, and likely many of the financial counselors and listeners here have likely encountered firsthand, that there's a difficulty managing tasks such as bill paying is often some of the first signs of cognitive decline. So we created a, a, a campaign called Safe Banking for Seniors. We've enlisted the help of 44 state bank associations and thousands of banks across the country uh, to really uh, do a better job and understand how we can spot, report, and work with our older customers that might be vulnerable to financial fraud and exploitation. And through that work, we found that one of the most important concepts that we needed to stand up is this concept of financial caregiving. We often think of the people helping our seniors in a physical standpoint, right? Um, helping them with medical decisions and all the directives and things that we encourage our clients to have. But uh, there might be people in your life that you actually want to help you with your financial life separate and apart from your physical. But even so, those conversations, we try to encourage folks to have them early on in life. You may be helping a, an older loved one or in your family or a friend, just making sure they pay their bills. And we find that that relationship can evolve over time to eventually the older person may need actually somebody who's sort of formalized in their life to be a fiduciary, have responsibility over making sure that bills get paid on time. And then of course, as life events happen, they might be an executor or trustee of the person's estate. Uh, but it's really a cycle that we have tried to create more awareness about. And that was really the, the key to that article, which is because our, the demographics of this country are changing so rapidly, either because you're going to be an older person, you're going to need somebody who'd be that financial caregiver in your life, or you're going to be entrusted as somebody who's going to be financial caregiving for somebody uh, older. So that's the concept of financial caregiving. And we've put out several resources and tools to support that initiative. You know, it's amazing looking back on that. You wrote that article in 2018, and I think lo and behold, you didn't know what was coming around the corner in 2020. And it has just, I feel like the pandemic has really emphasized what you just shared of needing to have these talks and have that communication, have the plan set up well in advance because the pandemic especially has taken a hard hit on that older population. And it's becoming, we're seeing this more and more. What are you hearing in ABA circles in terms of targeting and scams towards older folks? Well, one thing we do know is the scammers are always one step ahead and there's no shortage of ingenuity on their behalf. Many of us know of like the online romance scams that's happening and we're seeing an uptake in that. We're hearing that from the Justice Department. In fact, we're supporting them right now on a money mule initiative. It's amazing how many folks unaware are helping transfer money around for criminals. But just uh, scams that, are, that have been around for a long time but still keep seeming to rear their ugly heads. For example, the Jamaican lottery. People think they've been, uh, they get a notification that they've won a lottery of some uh, in some other country. But of course, to claim the winnings, they have to pay taxes on that amount. And of course, uh, you have to give your transfer information <laughs> over to a fraudster. And then of course, they've taken the money and run with it. And then they'll probably also try to exploit you for other types of crimes as well, once they know 
uh, they've got a willing victim uh, on their hand. But there's no shortage of these crimes, and we're seeing a, a, a big uptick uh, in these types of crimes focused at the elderly. And of course, financial crimes happen to all different ages. Even young people get taken in by scams. But the real difference is for older people, they have less ability to recover when a scam happens. And unfortunately, we are seeing a lot of uh, really dire data that suggests that when an older person is victimized, they feel obviously very uh, embarrassed or ashamed. Uh, and that can have really bad consequences for their finances and their mental stability. I'm wondering too, and, and Corey, I'll, I'll ask you this first, and then maybe Mary has some thoughts on it as well. I'm also hearing, you know, even just from friends and family members, as you have someone in your life who is someone that, you know, a loved one who's aging, how do you start having some of those hard conversations? Maybe it isn't fraud, but it is something about like mental decline or, you know, just not having the organizational skills or not wanting to think about end of life things. How do you start having some of those conversations? I'm just curious from both of your perspectives. Maybe start with Corey here. The folks I talk to and the experts in this arena and, you know, the National Institutes of Health, they have a Department of Aging, the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau have some really great guides about having those discussions in case anyone wants any resources on the topic. But in general, you know, a lot of people go home for the holidays and thankfully with the, the pandemic seem to be a little more manageable right now. Hopefully people are able to see their loved ones, but it's a really good time to just sort of take notice, ask, a, you know, some simple, hopefully not too invasive questions uh, and get those conversations started about how they're doing. If uh, you happen to go home for the first time in a long time and you're seeing a lot of unpaid bills laying around, that could be a sign, for example. And maybe just start asking some you know, targeted questions, maybe enlisting the support of other family members to say, hey, you know, I'm just, I, I don't often get home, but I'm seeing some troubling signs. Maybe I could enlist your help to sort of just keep an eye out on mom and dad. And uh, again, or maybe you're seeing some real troubling signs like forgetfulness or they are forgetting to pay bills or suddenly you learn about the new friend that they've made who they're suddenly paying uh, checks for or something like that. And you might want to do a little investigation uh, about these mm -hmm. uh, new friends in their life who sometimes can uh, find their way to your loved one's pocketbooks very quickly. Yeah, I, I think, Rebecca, my thoughts on this is you've got to start the conversation. And, you know, I think we put this off a long time and think, oh, well, I'll do that when I'm 60 or I'll do that when I'm 70 or 80. And, and the time just keeps continuing to pass. Uh, but what I've seen in the last couple of years is really whether it's cancer, whether it's COVID, no matter what it is, it doesn't discriminate with age. And so sometimes we have this false sense of security when we're younger and maybe in our 20s, 30s and 40s thinking, oh, I'll get to that someday. And I think that's the beginning of the faulty reasoning is someday is today, right? And, and sometimes that happens quicker. And I've had a couple of uh, personal examples. My brother died at the age of 35. And then my grandfather just passed away about a month ago from COVID. Uh, in both of those situations, they were complicated. There wasn't a will left behind. In my grandfather's case, it was a different, there were two powers of attorneys that were both over healthcare and some things. And it's just left a really complicated situation for our family and, and some struggles kind of going on. So I would say one of the things I think that's so important is just start talking about money. One of the things I encourage my students to start with is just asking the question, tell me about your money history. And I feel like when someone talks about their money history and, and what I mean by money history is, is what's happened in your past and have conversations of why you look at money, how that played up. For example, my grandparents grew up very poor. They grew up right after the depression, right? In the 
midst of different wars. And so get them talking about that. What was it like growing up for them without money? And, and how has that affected them today? And I feel like when you start with those kinds of discussions, it can lead into present day discussions without being offensive. Because sometimes if you just come in and say, hey, mom or dad, you're kind of losing your mind. Let me take your keys. Let me, you know, hand over your checkbook or whatever the case may be, there's some resistance there. And so for me, I think the most important thing is to start talking about money, period. And, and the more you talk about it, the more easier it can become of once you discover a little more, more about them, find out more present. So how are you feeling now about money? What does that look like for you? Are there some things you're struggling with? If so, are there some things that maybe I could help you with, or is there someone else in the family that could help take over? If you start talking about it and making it more relatable, the easier it is going to be to have, it's not a single conversation, it's multiple conversations over time. Yeah. It reminds me of the importance of building rapport with clients. And sometimes you forget to do that with the people that you love the most. Right. And then as you were talking about that, I thought it also helps you build empathy for when people make decisions that maybe we think they should be doing something different. Now you have that sort of history, at least from their lens. And like you said, you can bring it to present day and even future planning. So thank you both for that. I, I, I think that's something a lot of people are experiencing with the population aging. And so I think those are really good tips. So Corey, I want to shift a little bit because we are really excited about your panel discussion at the upcoming symposium. And you're going to be focusing on, and I'm going to let you tell us a little bit more about it, but you're going to be focusing on people that have a criminal record. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about the data points you have around this, and then even just like what ABA is doing to focus in this space in terms of financial inclusion, and just maybe a little teaser so people can make sure that they register and hear more about it at the symposium. But I'm really excited about it. I think it's such a great topic. And, you know, we've done a little bit of work in this space too. And so I'm just really interested in your expertise around it. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, and I am just really excited and grateful to AFCP for giving me the opportunity to present at this year's conference and, and really share our data and the story and bring for so many folks in my career, at, which is coming up on nine years at the ABA Foundation. It was interesting to me to hear the stories about how so many banks are focusing their financial education and financial well-being programming at our prison population, particularly for folks that are re-entering are planning are about to re-enter uh, and leave the prison system. And having that financial foothold is so important to ensuring that we break this horrible cycle of recidivism that's going on and to ensure people's financial health and well-being is met so that they can get on with their lives. And let me just give you a couple of points that I'll explain more at the conference, but we're gonna be issuing a paper. The timing could not be any better. Approximately 7.7 or so million people in the United States have had some sort of jail time. Just two years ago, there was over 2 million people in our uh, the United States criminal justice system. And then there's another 47 million people that have some form of a criminal record. And we all know that, again, another ugly truth to the, these statistics are that it's uh, that racial minorities make up a, a vast disproportionate percentage of those numbers. And what our brief is planning to spotlight is the challenges this, face, this population faces in becoming banked. One of the data points you might be surprised or not surprised to learn is that a third of this population before they go into the prison system lack any relationship to a financial institution at all. They have no bank account or credit, you know, with an account with a credit union or a bank. We're finding that 
what was really neat about this particular report is uh, we also combined all of these statistics and learnings about the fragility of this vulnerable population, but we combined it with case studies of three or four banks across the country that have been partnering with folks like your listeners or in nonprofits or with the correctional system to really focus on the reentry and even a couple of coalitions. Um, you may have heard of a, a, a movement called Bank On which is a movement that the financial institutions are, are promoting to basically offer safe and affordable and very low cost accounts uh, for people. So we also looked at a bank on coalition in Lansing, Michigan. So at your conference uh, on the 15th, we're going to, I'm going to bring a couple of those amazing bankers to the conversation as well as a really great expert at Oklahoma State uh, that I know you know well. And uh, I just think it's going to be a fantastic session for your attendees. And I'm really, again, very grateful that you're letting us bring this story to life to your attendees. Yeah, I'm really excited about it personally. And Corey is mentioning Kate Mielitz is actually going to be on the panel discussion as well. So I know um, our listeners know her well, and she has a lot of experience in this from the financial counseling perspective as well. So I'm excited about the discussion. And then we also have another local program here that was in coordination with a nonprofit called Healing Broken Circles where one of our fabulous AFC professionals, and I had the good fortune of being a small part of this, but she went up um, really until COVID, until we couldn't get into the correctional institution and did lots of financial education workshops. These folks then sat for the money management essentials, you know, test of completion and are bringing some of that back in-house to their to the folks that they're working with now. And that has been an incredible program. And so they're gonna actually also have a breakout session really talking to your point about how can we, again, make these integrations across, like when people are coming back into society out, you know, outside of prison and they're trying to get their life established, many of them walk out of there with zero dollars or, you know, such a small amount that it's very difficult for them to, to not fall prey to maybe some of the challenges that they experienced that led them into their prison sentence. And so it's just that we've learned so much through that program, met some incredible people and really that in integration of like, how do we combine these services once people are out? And what we're doing now with this pilot program is the AFC is we, we did a little match savings program in combination with an AFC doing some financial counseling work with these two folks. And so um, there's also going to be a breakout session that talks about that model, how we can explore some of this work together. And then I'd love to, to follow up, Corey, and find out like, how can we, again, kind of coordinate these efforts from the AFC standpoint and the banking standpoint so that folks really have this wraparound care and can really set themselves up for success once they've served their time and are, are re-entering society, so to speak. So I really am excited about your, your expertise in this and what you're bringing and can't wait to read more about that paper. And of course, we'll share it with our network and our attendees as well. Corey, we are excited to have you at the conference this year. Thank you so much for coming. And thank you for your time on this interview. At the end of each interview, we like to get the guests two cents or biggest takeaways for our listeners. If you had one piece of advice to offer financial professionals, what would it be? I would say money is a, a journey. It's a one journey that you keep learning. Uh, and what you learn can be spread to everyone around you. I love it. Thank you so much. Corey, will you tell our listeners where they can connect with you on social media or your website? Our website is the aba.com forward slash foundation. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Carlisle, uh, or you can find me on Twitter at FinHealthCorey. 
thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure talking with you, but I, I really enjoyed our conversation today. I know that we have lots of resources to share with our listeners. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. Rebecca, talking to Corey reminds me of my days on the Hill back in DC. And there's so much that associations have to offer. I love that he comes from American Bankers Association and there's just a long list of resources that often don't make it all the way to the provider. And so it's great to have Corey on so he can connect mm -hmm. us not only to ABA resources, but he also mentioned some from CFPB uh, and some other ones from NIA. So we're glad to be able to get connected at the top levels also to know that they're getting into the hands of those who have direct contact with clients. Uh, one of the things I really like that Corey mentioned is this idea of money as a journey. And I think that could be an, an episode all in itself of how money is part of a journey and that it's not a destination and there's so much that goes along with it. So just food for thought, but I really enjoyed knowing, especially about financial caretaking and being able to reach out to special populations that not only is it being done, but you too can be a part of that if that's something that you want to also include in your practice. Corey is definitely one of the good ones. He's been such a joy to get to know, like I said, through our Jumpstart board service and has become really a friend, but somebody that I really admire in his leadership. And so it's been really great to see the work that they're focused on at the at the foundation. And I'm excited as you know, I think that we talked about a couple different opportunities really for collaboration and synergy across the field. So that's exciting as well. And I encourage our professionals to know more about what programs they provide. And you know, together, we can come up with some ideas of ways we can interact and bring our professionals and their expertise to some of that work as well. I can't wait for the symposium session. I mean, you know, I said that this is a program that we've kind of been doing or, or piloting uh, locally. And so it'll be great to have Corey lead that panel discussion and, and kind of find out some other things around financial inclusion for folks who've, who have been previously incarcerated. And of course, our very own Kate Mielitz will be on that panel. And so if you have not yet registered to attend, you definitely still can. Um, we have amazing speakers like this panel discussion. Please go to the website to register and join us next week, November 15th through 19th. We can't wait to see you. If you enjoyed the show today, please give us a rating and review and be sure to share it with a friend. Real Money, Real Experts is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to continue the conversation, consider joining the AFCPE membership community. As an AFCPE member, you gain access to resources, networking opportunities, and professional development that supports your work and your career. Learn more at our website, afcpe.org.